It's a great morning to be in the worship of Almighty God. Amen? I'm so glad to be here uh, along with uh, Keith Nestor who will be uh, bringing this sermon to you this morning. We're the main teachers of this congregation as the pastoral staff. We've met Vicki, our pastoral care uh, director, and we believe that uh, worship should be founded on scriptures and uh, leaning into the Holy Spirit. And so as we come to lead every week, we, we uh, distinctly uh, and uh, strongly lean into those sources as we teach, and we're going to do that today. I do want to give you a little bit of a, uh, a forward view of where we're going from now until a little bit even past Christmas time. Keith and I take our roles very seriously, so uh, we plot together, plan together, pray together, and, and see where we believe this congregation uh, needs to go uh, in, in its work within its building mission of the kingdom of God. So, um, if you want to start a little bit at Christmas Eve and work backwards, when we get into uh, December, uh, Keith and I are going to take the great opportunity to really look seriously at the biblical foundations and theological foundations of some of our favorite Christmas carols. Uh, We're aware now that uh, the world has changed during the time that we were educated and whatnot, and some of those great, great Christmas carols aren't necessarily being able to be taught in our public schools And, of course, we love them, and sometimes we need to look into their depth, so we're going to be looking at that. And in the weeks that precede that during our fall, um, we're really going to be diving in to what it means to be a disciple. Because we believe in Jesus Christ, we are called to give and do our life a certain way. And so Pastor Keith is uh, launching that series today, and we're going to look at uh, first in Luke chapter 14 at, at a scripture, I think, that will shape where we're going real well. Luke 14. Uh, Verse 25 and following. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money? To complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person has began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming towards him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. May God add his blessing on this reading of the Holy Scripture. Uh, May we pray. God who was, is, and is to come. You are the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. And we need your presence in our lives, Lord. You extend it to us every day. And as Keith comes now, Lord, to... uh, Teach your word. We ask that he might ride the wave of the Holy Spirit that you have sent to this congregation. That you might allow him to ride the wave of the Holy Spirit that's coursing through his veins. And then he, without fear or apprehension, teach these messages. And we too, Lord, might get on that wave and live the lives that you would have us live for your sake to the building of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. 
I'm going to direct your attention real quick to, in your bulletins, if you grab one, there's, the, there's this sheet, and it's on the, uh, on the back, it has this large space for you to take notes during the sermon. So, you can do that if you want to. Um, underneath it is this description of, it says, a disciple is, and we're going to talk a little bit about that for, actually we're going to talk a lot about that. For the next few months here, because the truth is, this is something that we're dedicating ourselves to uh, and have been for quite some time. We all know the purpose of our church uh, at Marion Methodist, and it is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. But what is exactly a disciple? It's something that we need to talk about and we need to think about because I think disciple is one of those words that we just kind of grow up with in church, and sometimes we think it refers to these 12 dudes that follow Jesus around. But the fact is, it is that, but it's also much more. And as the words of the scripture that Pastor Mike read to us uh, from Jesus teach us, it doesn't matter so much what, where we start, it matters where we finish. And, and, and that, that text that Mike read from, from Luke, it, it kind of sounds a little bit harsh, doesn't it? Hating your father and mother, hating your own life, hating brothers and sisters. I mean, do you think that's what Jesus really had in mind when, when he talks about that? Now, for some of us, it comes a little bit easier. You know, but for others, it, it, we go, wait a minute, you know, I'm not sure that's what God would want. And, and I would say this, you know, Jesus doesn't want you to hate your parents or your brothers or sisters. Literally, he's, he's using this, this language to, to show the level of cost that goes into truly finishing this life as a disciple of Jesus. And he's saying that as powerful as those loyalties are that we have to, to friends and family and relatives, and that's great. Our, our greatest loyalty needs to be to Jesus Christ himself. Because as many of us have done, and I, I, I'll raise my hand on this. Guys, any of us ever start a project around the house and it doesn't quite get finished? But then we start another one because we're tired of this one, so we move on. You ever do that? I, I, I worked with a guy uh, a few years ago who was a, a master carpenter, supremely talented guy. And I would kind of go around with him and help him on some of these jobs. And, and he was he was famous for, for going into a job and starting it and going great, and then someone would call, hey, I got this other project, and then we'd go over there instead, and people would be chasing him around, going, when are you going to come over to my house and finish this thing? Well, I, I got to go to his house one day, and I thought, I thought oh, that, wow, I can't wait to see this guy's house. I mean, he he's, he's, can make anything out of wood, and he's, he's so talented as a, a carpenter. And I thought, I wonder what his house looks like. It's got to be amazing. And when we pulled up to his house, I was I was... I shouldn't have been surprised, but I, you know, half the siding isn't put up. There's no trim around the door. We walked inside, and there's baseboards missing from everywhere. There's like cabinets that don't have the the, the hardware on them and stuff. I mean, it looked like it was. It looked like exactly what happened. You get excited about starting something you don't finish. And I looked at him and I said, "How dare you do this to your poor wife? She watches you get up every day and go off and make everybody's house look great, and then look at this mess." And he says, "You're fired." I said, well, that's okay. I quit anyway. But uh, we, were, we were friends. But, uh, but uh, I say we're. Um, but no, we still are. But I tell you, that, I, can, I can understand that. You know, I can understand getting excited about starting something. I can't tell you how many, how many model sets that my dad would buy me as a little kid that you'd glue together and they'd be halfway done, right? Or I'd always want to paint them first or put the little stickers on them first. You know, it's one thing to start something and, and get all jazzed up about it. But it's something completely different to finish. 
And what Jesus is telling us here is that the road of discipleship is a road that only matters when it's finished. It doesn't matter if we start. It only matters if we finish, you see? And that's, that's something that he wants us to understand. But beyond that, he wants us to recognize that it's not an easy road. It's not a free road. It's not a cheap road. To walk the road of discipleship with Jesus Christ is costly. It's difficult. It's arduous. But man, I tell you, it leads to no greater destination than the kingdom of heaven. So as we open up this, this definition of discipleship, we have to do so understanding fully what it is that we're trying to do. I mean, if you don't see the end goal in your mind, then, then, then how can you begin so we've created this, this description here, and this, is, this isn't, you know, from the Bible or something like that. I mean, it's, it's guided by the Bible, but this was actually created internally by our team that made this, this uh, discipleship pathway that we've been talking about so that we would have a, a, a goal in mind of what exactly we're trying to do when, it mean, when we say we're going to make disciples of Jesus Christ. What is a disciple? So here's our, our definition. It's on this sheet, and I'm only going to go over the first part of it with you. I'll let you read the rest of it, but what I want to focus on today is this. A disciple is a person who, through faith in Jesus Christ, believes the gospel and seeks to center their life on the teachings of Jesus Christ. Now, I can't think of a more basic, fundamental description of disciple than that. But I think it's important that we unpack that a little bit because if we truly want to, to know where we're going, we have to, we have to know exactly what, what we're trying to do. Now, let's talk about the definition of the word disciple, what it originally meant. It's not a word that was unique to, to Christianity or Judaism or religion even. The word disciple comes from the Greek word mathetes, and uh, you can see the Greek up there. Everybody can probably read that. And it refers generally to any student, pupil, apprentice or adherent as opposed to a teacher. So in the ancient world, however, it was most often associated with people who were devoted followers of a great religious leader or a teacher of philosophy. So a disciple ultimately is someone who is a learner, an adherent to someone else. So you can't be a disciple in a vacuum. You are, you are a follower of someone else. And of course, as disciples, we want to be disciples of Jesus. So what we're saying is that we want to be followers of Jesus. We want to adhere to his teachings. Now, let me show you this verse from Luke chapter 6, verse 40. And these are Jesus' words. And he says this, A disciple is not greater than his teacher, but everyone, when fully trained, will be like his teacher. Okay? That's the goal right there. The goal right there is to be like Jesus, to be like your teacher. And, and I'll say this, you will never do better than your teacher when it comes to, the, to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. You can never approve on G, improve on Jesus. You can never surpass Jesus. And I think it's important to say that because I think sometimes in our culture, we can have this tendency to have this level of pride that because we are, you know, in the year 2014, we're more advanced than people who walked the earth 2,000 years ago, even Jesus. So sometimes you might find people who want to take the writings of Jesus 
and, and they want to talk about Jesus as though he was just some sort of philosopher, but they want to say, okay, well, we can improve upon what Jesus said. We can understand culture better. We can take Jesus' teachings and Jesus' words and, and, and sort of blend them with, with other elements of society or other religious ideas and make something better, kind of a new, improved Jesus. I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with this. I just thought of this, but back in, I think it was, what, the 70s or 80s, they had this thing called the Jesus Seminar. Do you remember what this was? Did you ever hear about this? I think it was in like Time Magazine. Does that still exist? I think it does. Um, and this was a group of scholars, okay, who gathered together and they went through the New Testament Gospels and they voted on each saying of Jesus, whether they thought it was, you know, probable that Jesus said that, whether they thought he might have said that, or whether there was no way he actually said that. And they had these series, I remember reading this, they had these series of colored beads, and they would vote by colored bead which ones were actually the sayings of Jesus. And at the end of the day, they wound up with this immaculated sort of, you know, crushed together that made no sense gospel of things that they determined were actually Jesus' words and things that they thought later were added or modified so that ultimately they could have what they would call the historical Jesus, right? Have you ever heard anybody talk about rediscovering the historical Jesus? And that presumes that the Jesus we have in the Bible is not historical because they've found a way to add on to it, improve on it, and make Jesus more palatable for the 20th century or 21st century you know, North American educated culture. And the truth is, discipleship of Jesus probably went out the door the minute that they started thinking they could do better than, than Jesus. You see, a teacher like Jesus can never be improved on. So as you come to follow Jesus, recognize always in your mind that being like Jesus is your goal. You're never going to be better than Jesus. So Jesus says to his, his disciples here, or his followers, the people that were gathering around him, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to do this thing, here's what you got to do. And in Luke 9, 23, 24, he says, it says, Then he said to them to all, If anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, ultimately, to be like Jesus means that you have to stop being like you. Now, I know that's horrible. I just, I just hurt somebody's self-esteem in here, didn't I? You know, what do you mean? I'm a special, unique flower that God created. My mommy told me so, right? Well, yes, of course you are. You're wonderful. We all are. And, and, but but the, the fact is this. Maybe I'm just weird, but I, I sense in my own self this default setting to, like, be selfish. This default setting to, like, you know, want things my way. To, to be prideful or maybe to be ashamed of myself or maybe to be insecure or maybe to be greedy or, or maybe to, to lose my temper. I, you know, there's all these things just sort of floating around inside Pastor Keith here. And, and I hate to shock you with all this, by the way, because I know you thought I was like this perfect person, right? Right, Pastor Mike? Um, but that's sort of like default position for me. Do you, do you know what I mean? For me, it's not a struggle to like want to do things my way. It's, it's a struggle to put others first. It's, for me, it's, it's not a struggle to want to achieve more in life for myself. It's a struggle to, to, to put my accomplishments aside. It's not a struggle to want more for me. It's a struggle for me to want to give more. 
You see, and that's what Jesus was talking about. He said, look, understand this. Discipleship, to follow Jesus, is not some kind of enhancement to your awesome life that's going to make you better. Discipleship, when you follow Jesus, is going to cost you something. And not only is it going to cost you something, it's going to cost you everything potentially. It's going to mean a complete paradigm shift of your life. It's going to mean that you are no longer the bright shining center of the universe when it comes to your own life. And rather that Jesus Christ himself becomes that by which you would give everything for. And he wants you to know that going in. Because what Jesus knows that we often don't know is that discipleship is incredibly challenging, isn't it? It's incredibly difficult. It's incredibly demanding. Because there are times as disciples of Jesus where we have to make incredible sacrifices, where we have relationships that might become strained because we've chosen to follow Christ, and some people just don't understand that. There will be things in this life that, that we won't be able to do that everybody else is going to do. There will be, there'll be opportunities that... that we'll have to say no to because we're saying yes to Jesus. There'll be things that we would like to to have for ourselves that rather we give. And I think you see where I'm going with this. Jesus never subscribed to this, you know, American version of Christianity that says, hey, if you follow Jesus, you can have the greatest life ever, according to what our culture says. That's not the teaching of Jesus. It might be the teaching of, of, you know, preachers with Thousands and thousands and thousands of, te- of, of people that go to it. But man, I, I understand why. But following Jesus is hard. It's tough. And he says, if you want to follow me, you've got to be willing to lose your life. You've got to be willing to, to, to accept that. Now, I don't think Jesus calls us to, to, to you know, physically die. Although that's happening to many people, as Pastor Mike talked about last week. I think really Jesus is calling us to live. You know, I heard somebody say one time, it's much easier to die for Jesus than it is to live for Jesus. You know, because living for Jesus means that every day you have to wake up and decide, who am I a disciple of? Who is my teacher? Who am I an adherent to their philosophy? And every day we have to choose, we have to die daily, Jesus said, to follow him and to put him first. We walk that path of discipleship. So that's what he says, that's, that's the pathway. That's where it starts. It starts with counting the cost and being willing to do whatever it takes. Now let's talk about how we become disciples. And I'm going to refer back to this statement first of all. So disciples, according to our first statement, are, are made through faith. They're, they're made through faith. And, and that's important for us to recognize. The book of Ephesians 2.8 says, and I'll just read this to you. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. You see, it's, a, it's God's gift that you're a disciple. It's not something that, that you were born into. There's no person who's ever been born a disciple. You're made a disciple. When Pastor Mike sprinkles the, the, the water on, on, a, on a little child, that isn't what makes them a disciple, though. It's through faith. It's through faith in Jesus. You're not a disciple because you understand everything and you have all this knowledge. That's not what makes you a disciple because you'll never understand everything. If you did understand everything, by the way, you wouldn't need faith. You see, faith is believing God even when everything around you says that you shouldn't. Because the Bible tells us that we walk by faith and not by sight. You know what I mean? So when you live your life by faith, you have to walk into dark places sometimes. You have to, 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 to go on roads where you don't know where they're going to lead 
because you have this voice of God guiding you, saying, this is the way, walk in it. Hey, I'm over here. Hey, this is what you should do. That's what it means. And you're made a disciple through your faith. You're not, you don't achieve it by going through confirmation or some class at a church or being baptized or, you know, serving fly lunches. That isn't what makes you a disciple. You're made a disciple first and foremost when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not made a disciple because you joined the church or because you're an American or because your parents were ushers. It doesn't make you a disciple. The only thing the scripture says that makes you a disciple is your faith in Jesus. Your faith in in him. And I'll tell you something. Walking by faith and not by sight is scary, but man, I tell you, there's nothing more exciting. There's nothing more exciting. Because if we control our own destiny, you know, I mean, first of all, it's a it's a it's a myth that we ever could. Because things happen to us that we never see coming. But but when we choose to let Jesus be in the driver's seat of our lives, things happen in ways that we never could have thought possible. I mean, I, I remember just coming to this church almost three years ago for a funeral. Never in a million years thinking that I would ever, that it would ever change my life. Walked in the door and here comes Pastor Mike Morgan. Hey, Keith, what are you doing these days? Oh boy, that dang Stan Wearson, man. I tell you what, even after he was dead, he was still messing with my life, you know? <laughs> I could just see him up there right now. Just go to the funeral, Keith. Just go to the funeral. But it's true, and many of you could tell similar stories of things that you never thought you would wind up doing that because Jesus told you to, you did, and it, and it blew your mind. See, following Jesus is exciting. I don't, I don't subscribe to this myth that to follow Jesus means that you live a boring, dull life. I think it's more exciting than any other thing we could possibly do with our lives. But only if we go into it 100%. Only if we, we truly walk that road but we're made by faith. Our disciples are made through faith. It doesn't mean you understand everything. It just means that you obey the voice of God. Secondly, disciples believe the gospel. Now that would sound pretty obvious, but I think it's important that we, that we talk about that. Because many people who claim to be disciples of Jesus oftentimes don't believe the gospel. Many times people who claim to follow Jesus, you know, listen to the teaching of Jesus and say, well, I don't know about that, that's kind of this, or that's kind of that, or that's not with our culture these days, or that doesn't rub me the right way, so, you know, I, I'm not sure about that. No, a disciple believes the gospel. You, you'll never be good at anything if the person who's instructing you, you don't listen to, Right? If, if you're trying to, to learn how to play an instrument and your teacher's saying, play it this way, and you say, no, I know what I'm doing. You know, Stryker, you got wrestling students. You think they know better than you? Did that ever happen? You know, probably happens, right? Alex, does that work out too well if you try to tell the coach he doesn't know what he's doing? No, you got to do things the right way. You know what I'm saying? So when, 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 when you go to follow Jesus or you go do anything else, you, you have to believe what your teacher says. Now, this isn't always easy because sometimes, like I said earlier, you, you've, got, you've got things in this life that seem to contradict that. And, and for Jesus, this was the case. There were teachings of Jesus that even when he taught them, people said, oh, I don't think I like that. In, in John chapter 6, Jesus was speaking about what it means to, that he's the bread of life and, and, and how that even though the, the ancestors in the desert ate manna from heaven, bread from heaven, that Jesus Christ had become the true bread. And he said this, literally, this blew their minds. He said, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. 
Now that is a hard thing to say to a group of people who believe that it's a sin to drink blood. Who couldn't even touch a dead body. Jesus is saying, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he even said, my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Now you and I know where he was going with this because we have communion and we're going to celebrate it today. But this was harsh. And, and after he said it, his, his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? I'll read to you a little bit about what happened next. And aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then, then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life and the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet there are some of you here who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. Then he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus turned to the twelve and said, you do not want to leave too, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. It's not an option to disagree with Jesus and remain a disciple. You can disagree with him all you want. You can turn around and you can walk away from him. You can look at the teachings of Jesus Christ and you can say, that's just too much. I want nothing to do with it. You can turn around and you can walk away and never look back. God's given you the freedom to do that. But you can't have it both ways. You're either in or you're out. You're either a believer, a disciple, or you're not. You can't pick and choose and say, Jesus, I love what you said over here, but over here, I don't, I don't think I accept that. Jesus looks at him, and he doesn't chase him. If you notice that in that text in John, he doesn't chase anybody around. He simply looks to the 12 and says, what are you guys going to do? And I love Peter's response. Where else are we going to go? Where else are we going to go? Nobody else has the words of eternal life. Only you, Jesus. Only you. A disciple believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. Even when it's hard, even when it doesn't make sense, even when there's tragedy in your life, even when there's disappointment in your life, even when you're busy, even when you, you lost your job, even when your, your family is going through difficulty, even when things are going too awesome that you don't have time for God, even when things are going so badly that you wonder if God's even real. In the midst of all that, a disciple believes the gospel. And then thirdly, disciples center their lives on Jesus' teachings. John 8, 31, Jesus says this to the Jews who had believed in him. If, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. If you hold to my teaching. See, I guess apparently there were, there were plenty of folks who wanted the whole discipleship thing but didn't want to hold to the teaching. And what Jesus wanted people to understand was this. Look, Sometimes to hold to Jesus' teachings means that you have to let go of some other things. Because we have to hold on to Jesus with both hands. And oftentimes that means that there can be other things pulling at us, taking us down, that we must let go of 
so that we can hold on to Jesus with everything that we have because the disciples center their lives on the teachings of Jesus. Jesus is not an add-on to your life if you're a disciple. Following Jesus is not a hobby. It's not something you do whenever it's convenient. Following Jesus must be the center of your life to be truly a disciple. And oftentimes, we can so easily fall into the trap of just putting Jesus just up there with everything else that we have going on in our lives. And Jesus says, no, I want to be at the center. It doesn't mean that there's nothing else in your life. It just means that he's at the center. It means that, that your faith in him is the, is the paradigm that everything else derives itself from. So no matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter how you choose to live your life, no matter what you're involved in, you're, you're involved in those things and through those things as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So what is it that you might have to let go of so you can hold on to the teachings of Jesus? You know, for some people, they've been carrying around just the guilt of their past or their shortcomings, and they want to hold on to Jesus, but the, their, their guilt or their shame or feeling like they're not good enough is always pulling them down, even in church. You know, sometimes you just feel like, man, I'm just not good enough, am I? I don't do enough. I'm not... You know, I'm not religious enough. I'm not holy. And you know what Jesus would say to you? He would say, you're right. None of us are. None of us are good enough. That's the, that's the secret. Did you know that? That none of us are good enough. I'm not good enough. Pastor Mike's not good enough. Am I in trouble? Okay, good. Uh, that's the gospel. The gospel is you're right. You're, you're not good enough. But guess what? Jesus is good enough. And Jesus gives you his good enough to make up for your not good enough. And to make up for my not good enough. And that's the teaching that you got to hold on to. Because I've seen it happen a thousand times and experienced it in my own life. If, if we get so focused on our own failures and shortcomings that, that we can just become paralyzed. And Jesus doesn't want you living in fear. He doesn't want you insecure in yourself. He doesn't want you filled with doubt. He wants you to charge into this life as a disciple and to take, to take everything that he has for you in this life because of the gospel. He wants you to, to go into those, those places that you live and to bring Christ, not, not scared and timid, but boldly and mightily. He wants you to stand strong in your faith. He wants you to lead your families well. He wants you to be, to be the, the best at whatever it is that you're doing for Jesus. That's the center. So let go of some of that stuff. For, for some of us, though, hey, maybe we need to let go of some pride. Maybe we hold on to this idea that, that we're so awesome that we don't really need to do anything. That, that God's like looking at us going, man, I thank, I, I thank me that they're on my team. Right? Some of us think that, that, that we've got it so figured out that we look down on other people because they don't, they're not where we are. You know what I mean? We have this self-righteousness that's going on that, that we're just like, oh, well, you, you're into that or you're this or you're not where I am. You know, we need to repent of that. We need to let go of that idea. And we need to come before God fully aware of our own sin and beg for his mercy and recognize that we're only worthy to follow him because of our faith in his grace. You know, for some of us, we just need to let go of about nine million things in our world that take away from any idea that we have to follow God because we filled our lives with so much stuff and so much frantic activity and so many obligations and so many commitments and so many different things that, man, we can barely see straight, let alone find time to follow Jesus. 
And sometimes we need to let go of some of that stuff so we can hold on to his teachings, so we can follow him. Make no mistake, this, this road of discipleship is not easy. It's not free and it's not cheap. Jesus paid a heavy price for it. And he says to you and me, hey, come follow me on this journey, but recognize, recognize the cost. Recognize what you have to do because you don't want your soul to be like that unfinished project sitting around your house. You don't want your soul to be like that room that never got painted or to be like that birdhouse that was never completed or that quilt that never had the last patch sewed on it. You know, I have a hole in my basement ceiling in the drywall where there's a pipe that leaked and I haven't got around to fixing it yet. So every day it reminds me because I, I got some cotton stuffed up in there <laughs> just to keep the water from dripping on someone when they're watching TV. And I see that, I just go, oh man, I gotta finish that. You know, I don't want my house to be like that. But more importantly, I don't want my life to be like that. I don't want my soul to be like that. But I'm thankful to God for the scriptures that says, he who is faithful to begin a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. See, Jesus will complete this work in us as we have faith in him, as we believe the gospel, and as we center our lives on his teaching. You guys, over the next few weeks, as we go through this definition, I want to tell you, it's going to be, it's going to be enlightening as we open up our minds and go, this is the target right here, discipleship. This is what it means. And I know for sure that as we step into that, that our lives will be changed forever. See, it was that teaching about Jesus that was so divisive and controversial that brings us to this, this moment here today of communion. See, this is one of those moments that Jesus would look at and say, hey, follow me into this, but recognize the cost. Now, the cost was his cost on the cross, but nevertheless, he wants each of us to be mindful of the cost that he paid. When on the last night of his life, he, he took bread and he gave thanks gathered together with his disciples, celebrating the Passover. And he broke the bread, and he said to his disciples, take and eat this. This is my body broken for you. This is the price I am paying for you. This is what it cost me, Jesus said, to be a disciple. And I'm inviting you into that. Well, after the disciples had finished with the supper, he took a cup, and in the same way, he gave thanks to God for the cup. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Now each of you take it and drink this. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do so in memory of me. Jesus was saying, Drink in what I'm doing for you. Don't just put it on a shelf. Make it part of who you are. Now, communion in the United Methodist Church is open to anyone who would come. We're, we're not concerned with your church membership in this church or any other church. We're not concerned with your age or anything like that. What we are concerned with and what Jesus is concerned with is this. Do you want to be a disciple? Do you want to receive Jesus' invitation? Because that's what this is an invitation to. It's not an invitation just for a monthly little ritual or, or a nice little snack before the month of Sunday's breakfast. This is an invitation to a life-changing experience. And if you're ready for that, if you would say, yeah, I want to hop on that train, then this moment's for you.